As we celebrate the resurrection, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, that scripture is outlined in the bulletin that hopefully you received. I'd love for you to read along. And so uh, something that we do as a tradition when I preach, I ask, uh, the Bible tells us to give us give attention to the reading of God's word. And one way that we do that and we kind of stands out from among us is that I ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. So if you're physically able, would you stand and follow along silently as I read aloud from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 49. This is what the word of God says. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before the Lord and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, 
And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. And when he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Easter season is associated, of course, with many joyful things uh, for those who love Christ and those who know him especially. But we all share in the common grace that we have uh, around this season. Springtime is upon us. After the shorter cold days of winter, things are starting to bloom and take shape. There's more sunlight now. God's favorite game of baseball has begun. But seriously, for many people, Easter is about a new beginning, a light in the darkness, even hope after life. For many people, maybe even most people, Easter is most definitely a plus. It's a positive thing. But let's take some time and look at some of the terms used to describe the disciples' reactions to the very first Easter, the first resurrection day that we just read about from Luke chapter 24. And these are in your outline, but you can also see them in your Bible as well. Look at verse 5. It says, and as they were frightened, And bowed their faces to the ground. Verse 32, did did not our hearts burn within us? Verse 37, they were startled and frightened. Verse 41, they still disbelieved for joy and marveling. And so we who have the end of the story, we who are uh, living in these last days, who know what has happened, we look back and we wake up this morning with great joy. We wake up this morning celebrating our resurrected King and Savior. But you will see that it is not that way for the earliest disciples celebrating the very first resurrection Sunday. I mean, what about you? How often do these terms come to mind when you think of Easter? How many people among us woke up this morning, were frightened, and bowed their head? Likely not many. Uh, How many among us, when you said, he is risen, he is risen indeed. How are you this morning? My heart is burning within me. We wouldn't be like, oh, that's normal. 
But for the first disciples celebrating the very first Easter, I mean, we can understand them feeling this way. Most, if not all of us, have been in a cemetery before or at least near one. There's one across the street. Imagine for a moment walking up to the grave of a loved one, a loved one who has passed, and finding the gravestone overturned, the ground around it broken up, and the body missing. Chances are your heart would burn within you. Chances are you would be frightened. You might even bow your face to the ground because you might have fallen there. Imagine someone coming to you saying, Grandma is not here. John isn't here. She is risen. I mean, how would you react? Oh, yay. I thought she was here. Now we can take these flowers home. Like, that's not how you would react. I don't know if I'd like punch the guy or run to get help or punch the guy and then run to get help. I don't, but it just, it is not a normal thing to happen. Even now, with us knowing the story of the resurrection, the account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, I don't think I'm ready to walk through a graveyard and be like, oh, cool, it happened again. That's cool. I didn't never think I'd get to see that. My point is this. If, if that happened to you, I, I don't think you'd reach for a hymnal or even think of celebrating. If that happened to you and me, the words you find in your outline would be very appropriate. Frightened, startled, alarmed, Trembling, astonished, afraid. So here's my question. What bearing does the resurrection have on your life today? Uh, Now that you know the end of the story and perhaps have known it for quite some time, is there a reason for us to be astonished today? Because we look back and we're like, wow, that must have been amazing. And we look forward to our time in eternity if we're believers and we say, that's going to be amazing. I can't even imagine it, but it's going to be great. But what about today? Is, is Easter all about looking back and looking forward? And today's just kind of like, kind of another day. Like, I'm excited about what happened and I'm excited about what's going to happen. But otherwise, all the excitement is back then and all the excitement is yet to come. Now, there are many spiritual implications of the resurrection, right? Since Jesus rose from the grave, all who are in Christ, all who believe in him will also have victory over the grave. If you're familiar with hymns, you know the line, made like him, like him we rise. I don't want to underestimate the spiritual implications at all. If the gospel ended with Good Friday, which we celebrated two days ago, John 3.16 would read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, full stop. That would certainly be worth celebrating. It would mean that when I die, I'd be spared the hell and the punishment that I deserve but would rot in the ground. That is still an upgrade. It's a significant upgrade from hell. That would be a plus. I'd rather be worm food than firewood. But it's Christ's resurrection from the grave that gives us the hope of heaven that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Paul says to the church at Corinth, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, we'd be the most pitiful of people. 1 Corinthians and verse 15. I could go on and on and on. However... If we spiritualize and only spiritualize the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, we miss out on a ton of truth and a ton of application for our lives today. Today. In fact, look at Luke 24 and verse 36. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They actually, they're actually frightened that this is a spiritual thing. Jesus' response is one that emphasizes not the spiritual reality of the resurrection, but the physical. Verse 39, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of fish. He's like, hey, I'm no ghost. I'm the real deal. Touch me and see for yourself. Do you have anything to eat? What kind of a host are you? He is emphasizing the fact like I'm really here. This is me. And so here's what I would like to do today. I'm going to temporarily set aside the comfort of Easter for the future and the hope of Easter for the future and look at the reality of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ to see what bearing it has on our lives today, right here, right now. I promise you we'll talk about the promise of heaven. But for now, I want to talk about three ways Easter radically changes our lives now, like right now. We know that it radically changes our death. We know that we will be like him and that we will rise from the grave. We know that if we believe, not just believe that it happened like we believe that FC Cincinnati won yesterday, even though we weren't there. Maybe some of you were there. But I mean, like, yeah, we believe. Like, why would they lie, right? I'm I'm pretty sure we believe. It's not just believing that something happened that you didn't see, but believing in that, no, I'm, I'm literally putting all my faith putting all my stock in this one event. We know that if we believe and trust that Jesus' death was enough for sinners like us, we know that our sins have been paid for and paid in full. We know that if we believe the gospel, that we believe that not only that Jesus died and was buried, but that he rose on the third day, we too will rise. And death for us becomes a transition from this life to the next. But I wanna talk about three ways Easter radically changes our lives right now. And so I've put three points in your outline. Point number one, since Jesus rose from the dead, he is Lord. And that actually changes the way we think. It changes the way we think right now. If Jesus is alive, that means he has defeated death. The one enemy who gets the last laugh with anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've accomplished, what socioeconomic status you have, even how healthy you are, none of that matters when it comes to death. Everyone is going to die. The death toll remains the same, one apiece. There's no escaping it. But Jesus died and then beat death. And if he can live a perfect life, which he did, and die on the cross, which he did, and then beat death, he is truly Lord. And that's what Peter calls to our attention in Acts chapter 2, which is in your outline. Peter preaches the gospel and focuses on this point specifically to show Jesus' authority. Acts 2, beginning in verse 23. This Jesus, Peter says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Skip down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to him, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, since Jesus defeated death, God has made him both Lord and Christ and therefore they must do something right now. Repent. In Acts 17, Paul is speaking at the Areopagus, reasoning with philosophers. And they, like most people today, are fine with God or fine with a higher power or a higher being or whatever. But when you mention the name of Jesus and that he has risen from the dead, that you, that's usually when things change. And that's what happens in Acts 17. Pick it up in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked... But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's time with the philosophers in Athens goes well until he mentions the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Why? Because his having been defeated His having not been defeated and defeating death makes him Lord, which is why Jesus said what he did in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So many people are searching for answers to so many situations and questions in life. So many people are searching for peace, searching for hope, And while searching can be stressful, there's also a bit of ease that comes with searching because you don't have to commit. It's kind of like when you're walking around a store and somebody comes up to you wearing a name tag from that store or just identifying themselves as the associate of that store and you look behind them and say, you look at them and say anything from, thanks, I'm just looking to get thee behind me, Satan. Because you're not committing, you're not ready to commit, you're just browsing, you're just looking. It's like, hey, there's no pressure as long as I'm just looking. I've not paid any money, I've not made a selection, I'm just looking. There's a little bit of peace that comes with just searching. The fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead means the search is over. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he's risen, there's nowhere else to look and you can't hide behind a rack and dodge the salesperson anymore. We can stop searching, and since he's Lord, we start repenting now. What impact does Easter have on our lives right now? We start living for him, not searching for him, but living for him because he's alive and living and ruling and reigning and seated at the right hand of God and is coming again. This radically changes our deaths, but ought to radically change our lives now. And so what are you living for? I am trying my best not to be perfect. I gave up on that a long time ago. But I'm trying my best to live for Jesus. I'm trying to please him. I'm trying to course correct where I don't. Why? Quite frankly, because he rose from the dead. And a dead man walking gets my attention. A dead man ruling and reigning who is the God man gets my attention. That's a man worth living for. Here's another aspect of Easter that changes our lives right now. Point number two, since Jesus rose from the dead, we have a future with him, but that changes the way we live. 
The fact that we have a future with Jesus changes the way uh, we die. His resurrection means we too will rise from the grave. Though our earthly body will die, we'll have eternity with him to look forward to. Easter changes the way we die, but Easter also changes the way we live. Easter means your life matters right now. Right now. And that's probably an important thing to think about because lots of times, especially when we, uh, lots of times Christians can have this kind of fatalistic view like, oh, whatever, it's all going to burn. Oh, whatever, I'm living for eternity. And then you become no earthly good right now. And most people around you are like, well, go to eternity already. Like, it's, you're bringing me down. Like, the Easter change is not just where you're going, but changes how you live right now. It means your life matters right now. And in your outline, you have words from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Now look what it says, beginning in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, true, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So before we go on, notice what he says. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is like, through him, through Jesus, we have no lasting city. So it sounds a little like the, ah, let it burn, ah, let it go. What does it matter? We're just going to all die and go to heaven. That's Jesus came. But that's not how he goes on. Verse 15 says, well, then in light of where we're going, let's do something different right now. Let's offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Verse 15, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's now talk. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's now talk. Do you, do, do you see that? The writer of Hebrews says that our eyes are firmly fixed on a city that is to come, a heavenly city, not this world, for this world is not our home. But the very next verse, the very next verse says that as a result of this, let's offer a sacrifice of praise to God now. And he's not talking about singing, but about how we live. Verse 15, lips that acknowledge his name. Uh, you've heard us talk a lot about the courage to stand, the confidence to speak, lips that acknowledge his name. The fact that we're given heaven means we live differently here on earth right now, not just coast through life until we die and then reap the benefits of Easter. Easter changes our lives right now. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 16, don't neglect to do good. Share what you have. This pleases God. Jesus' resurrection from the dead means we can live life differently now without fear that we're missing out. We can live radically for the Lord now because this world is not our home. We can have the courage to stand. We can have the confidence to speak, a heart to sacrifice. Whatever the cost, we know the best is yet to come. See, here's the thing. So many people, this might be true for you. Maybe it at one time was true for you. But so many people live this life in fear. Uh, Sarah and I are preparing to teach at a conference actually coming up this week. We're teaching at a parenting conference and Sarah has spent her time, her, she's doing an entire workshop talking about fear-based parenting or the, the, the parenting fears and how to overcome them because so many of us live our lives in fear. Uh, they fear they'll not accomplish everything they want to. 
People fear getting to the end of their lives, not having traveled as extensively as they've wanted to, or not having poured into their kids as much as they wanted to, or didn't have as many friends as they'd hoped for, or wish they had more money or better sex or the perfect house or a lofty accomplishment. You can go on and on and on. What if, what if, what if? The clock is ticking, and what if I get to the end of my life and I experience regret? Easter means I can sacrifice in this life without any regrets. It's not because I don't care. It's not, ah, whatever. No, I deeply care. But Easter means I can sacrifice in this life without any regrets because the best is yet to come. Easter says if you're all in with Jesus, you'll miss out on nothing. Be all in, be all in for Christ. Give it all to Christ and you'll miss out on nothing. The greatest experience here is nothing like what we'll experience with God. And so that doesn't drive you to just sit back and relax and just enjoy the ride. Like, oh, whatever, when I die, I die. It drives you to live differently now. So when you see someone suffering, you want to help. You say, that might cost me time. That might cost me dime. It's okay, we're not living for this life. That's why when you have an opportunity to give of your time, of your money, of your resources, of your home, of whatever you have, you give. That's why when you see somebody in need, your heart aches and you're you're spurred on to help because Jesus is alive. And I'm going to have more pleasure in every aspect of life in the next life than I'm going to know what to do with And so I'm going to stand with courage now and speak with confidence now and sacrifice now because of what I have coming to me then. The best is yet to come. Ours is not a faith that looks back upon the great founder of our faith with admiration and we miss him and we wish he were here and we think if only I could have met him, That would have been nice, but we only get to read about him, but we'll never, ever meet him. Friends, Jesus is alive, will rise like he did, and we will see him forever. And that's really great news. And finally, point number three. Since Jesus rose from the dead, we can spend eternity with him in heaven, but can also have him now. Since Jesus rose from the dead, we can spend eternity with him in heaven. Yes, yes and amen. But we can also have him now. Fun fact. Do you know we don't really know where Jesus' tomb was? We don't. We don't know where Jesus' tomb really was. You can go to the Holy Land and there's a tomb that they say is Jesus' tomb. And you can walk through it and you can pay money to see it. And it's probably similar to the tomb that Jesus was laid in. But technically, if you read the fine print, it's like this is a tomb like Jesus's, and it was probably around here. If you talk to the locals, they're like, oh, really, we don't even know if this is a tomb. They'll tell you that at best, it's a guess. I mean, it's not a secret, but the tomb that they call Jesus's tomb or anything, anything that they build around it, they call Jesus's tomb. They don't really know if that was Jesus's like his legit tomb, like he laid here. But it's probably one like it. I'm not, it's not a sham, but we just don't know like this is the one, bro. This is, this is it, not that one, this one. We don't really know where the tomb is. You would think that would bother us, right? Like 
Can we figure this out? Can we find, I mean, can we, can we really find where the tomb is? But then, if you think about it, like I have, I have four kids. Uh, Justin's 19, and the three others are younger. Sorry, little, <laughs> it's, it's a long weekend, guys. It's used to, uh, Jonathan is 16, Emma is 13, and Silas is nine. Um, Jonathan and Silas share a room. Miss Emma has her own room. Uh, and Justin is home for Easter weekend, but spends most of his time living in a dorm at college. And, and his room is still there, um, but usually it's not being used too much. Or if we have guests over, they might stay in that room. But his room is, is, is typically empty. When I, at night, if I'm walking, uh, I'm walking up the stairs and I walk through the hallway and I walk to bed, uh, Jonathan and Silas's room really doesn't mean a lot to me because they're in it. Like the four walls, it's just a, it's just a room. Right? Emma's room doesn't mean a lot to me. It's, it's a hot mess. <laughs> a hot mess. But she's in there. I don't, I don't care about the room. I have her. Justin's room, sometimes I pause. I look at it. It's empty. Means a little, I mean, I don't go in there and weep and cry. I don't, I don't, I don't put flowers in there, but it's like, oh. I wonder how Buddy's doing. The rooms of the kids that are in my house don't mean as much to me because I have them. Right? I'm way more interested in them than their room. The tomb doesn't mean as much to us. Why? Because we have him. He's alive. We don't need to visit a memorial. I mean, it's, it's nice. It's fun. I'd love, I've never been. I'd love to go. But you know why Christians lost Christ's tomb over the years? Because we have him. He's risen. Why obsess over a room or a tomb when you have the actual people themselves? It's not the tomb that left a lasting effect on people, but the man, the God-man, who rose from the grave and walked among them saying, it's me, you can have me, I'm real, I'm alive, look, touch me, I'm for real, it's me, let's eat, I'm alive. It's not just Jesus' teachings that live on. He doesn't just leave a legacy. He gives us himself because he is alive. And since Jesus rose from the dead, yes, we can spend eternity with him in heaven, but we can also have him right now. What about you? When we talk about this great peace, this great hope, that we have because of Resurrection Sunday, because of the truth that we know that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Is that something you partake of or just something you watch other people partaking of? Is that a peace and a hope 
and a joy that you know? Or is it a peace and a hope and a joy that you see that other people know? Friends, you can have that. It's not a, it's not a fake, syrupy, sweet, kind of annoying joy that you're like, I don't want that. Nobody really likes her. Like, that's, that's not real joy. We, have, we may not always be happy, but we have joy. Uh, we may not always have an easy life, but we have peace. It's not that we don't have struggles in this life, but since this life is not all we have, and since Jesus has taken care of our greatest problem, it's not that we don't care about our other problems, but they pale in comparison to our greatest problem because we believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners like you and like me. We believe that his heavenly father poured out upon him blow after bloody blow the wrath and the punishment and the suffering that each and every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ deserve but will not receive. Why? Because it has already been spent on our Savior. And he died in our place and he was buried and we believe he rose from the dead. And we believe that he ascended into heaven and we believe that he is coming one day to judge the living and the dead and that his kingdom will have no end and we live for something more. And that's why we have peace. It's not because we've always made the right decisions. It's not because, you know, well, you know, we've planned and proper planning prevents problems. It's not a personality thing. We just know where our hope is and it's not in ourselves. It's in Jesus Christ. If that's you, you are happy with me today because he is risen, he is risen indeed. Amen? Amen. If that's not you, you can be happy and hopeful and have a peace that may not take away Whatever you brought into this room today, the things that you're wondering about, the things you're worried about, the things that concern your work or your station in life or your friends or your neighbors or your family members or other loved ones. But you can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief because you say, you know what? This world is not my home. I care a lot, a whole lot but I know that my greatest problem has been taken care of because of Jesus Christ's death and burial and resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 